You know, as I've been recording my previous podcast, Forward Thinking Founders, I've always been wondering what happens in the psychology of a young Steve Jobs, a young Katrina Lake, a young Charles Hudson, before they've found any success yet, before they have any indicators that they will build giant companies or venture capital firms. And as I interviewed hundreds of founders on my podcast, Forward Thinking Founders, I just thought, how interesting would it be to get into the psyche and the psychology and the brain of these extremely high aptitude young people before they have found any element of success and the only person truly betting on them at the moment is themselves. So this is a podcast where I interview middle school, high school, college age, and recent grad aged people who want to break into tech that are very high aptitude, that are very intelligent. So we're going to be exploring what makes them tick, what they spend their time thinking about, how they think about the world, what they want to work on. And maybe, just maybe, out of some of the guests that I interview, they will become prolific founders and venture capitalists. And then we can go back to these episodes and say, this is what they were like before the success. This is Early Bets on the Forward Thinking Media Network. Let's get into today's episode. We are here talking with Jack McClelland about the next generation of entrepreneurs. Uh, Jack, how's it going? Uh, it's going pretty well, thanks. Yeah, yeah, I, I I'm doing pretty well. I'm stoked to have you on. For people listening, uh, this episode will be another kind of uh, rendition or kind of angle of early bets. Jack is someone that I met online, like I meet everyone online, you know, in the last month. And super smart guy. So I just wanted to kind of chat with him about the future, about what he's working on, about what he thinks about. So you can kind of get to know Jack a little bit and follow along in his journey as I think it's someone who's going to be, you know, successful, very successful one day. So Jack, can you please introduce yourself to, you know, the audience, the listeners? What are you working on? What are you thinking about? Who are you? Just a brief intro and then we can get it started. Definitely. And uh, thanks so much for the compliments. I appreciate it. Um, my name's Jack. I'm a sophomore at Boston College. I'm studying computer science and finance. Uh, I'm originally from the Bay Area, from San Mateo in San Francisco. And uh, I currently kind of have interests in product management. Some of the projects that I'm working on right now are, uh, I'm involved with the Entrepreneurship Center at Boston College pretty heavily, uh, running most of the programs there. And I'm also working on uh, kind of this Boston Product Management Association in Boston, so I'm helping uh, improve value for the members uh, of that organization. And uh, finally, the kind of last like big project that I'm working on is uh, matching people, top talent who were placed into internships this summer who have now been displaced uh, as these programs are canceling and trying to match them uh, with other really cool opportunities. Uh, and that one is going to to launch publicly pretty soon. That is exciting. We'll talk about that in a second. First, I kind of want to dive into, you know, you're pretty you're pretty much in tech right now. You're, 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 you know, you're in college, you're doing all these things regarding entrepreneurship, technology. We'd love to hear at what point in your life did you decide that you were going to be in startups or in tech and how did that lead you to the college you're at now? Definitely. Um, I think I was pretty lucky to have found this uh, at a younger age. Uh, in eighth grade, I remember thinking I have no idea what I'm gonna take classes in in high school or what I'm gonna major in in college. Luckily, 
I was working on just this project with two other friends. We had these crazy ideas all the time. Uh, some of them looking back were uh, objectively pretty bad, to be honest. Uh, we wanted to make, I think, like a pair of sunglasses that would physically move up and down on your head, like depending on if you walked like indoors or outdoors. So kind of like silly, uh, like middle school ideas. Um, but we actually like just had a lot of fun, like thinking about how we would build these, uh, never actually building them. And then we took an entrepreneurship class in high school and we wanted to build an app that would let you share your contact information uh, with other people in the fastest way possible. And then that kind of pivoted towards finding the best people to meet at events and conferences. And this became our most serious project. You know, it, super fun. It consumed our lives. We were always meeting at lunch, kind of making excuses to just meet and work on the project. Uh, and the entrepreneurship class actually tailored itself to each of our projects. So there were probably uh, like 10 people in the class and maybe five teams. And what our startups were each going through, they would kind of teach a unit on that. So when we started to um, kind of look at uh, funding options, we did a, a whole unit on convertible notes. And I don't think safe notes were as popular at that time, but we also did a unit on financial models and that sort of thing. So that class was a, a huge deep dive into the, the startup world. And uh, you know, for a while there, we got super into entrepreneurship. Then we had this weird phase where uh, you know, kind of the project was dying out, uh, I think. There's definitely some like internal conflicts, um, maybe a little, a little just high school kind of drama, uh, you know how it goes. And uh, the project had to be dropped at one point. And then from then on, we were almost like anti-technology for a bit. Uh, we were like, oh my God, there's all these people that are coming up with these ideas that don't actually seem to be solving the world's problems. But then we eventually kind of got back into, uh, all three of us got back into tech. And uh, I went into college knowing that I would want to study CS because I was a little frustrated in high school that I wanted to to build something, but didn't have the CS skills, and was telling uh, another one of my friends to to kind of do it and trying to manage that all the time. And uh, so I wanted to learn uh, computer science in order to to build what what I wanted to. Uh, and then I joined the Entrepreneurship Center. Uh, I started going to events. Uh, I was in the elevator pitch competition, the accelerator. I applied to the venture competition, and then they said, "Looks like you're pretty active, and would you like to join the board?" And uh, so I've been helping out with the the board of the Entrepreneurship Club at BC. So unlike where I grew up and went to college, which is in Arizona, um, you know, in Arizona, you have three, primarily three options for schools, NAU, ASU, U of A, none of which have, you know, the most spectacular entrepreneurship program. They're, they're good for Arizona, but it's kind of like detached from the, the ecosystem, the big leagues where you, uh, now you went to college at a, in a city in an area where it was it's kind of a hotbed. So I'd love to hear, like, how do you think about when you were like a junior in high school? Um, how do you know you wanted to go to BC? Um, how, why Boston versus San Francisco versus New York? Um, was it an intentional decision or uh, just how had that decision come about? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a great question because uh, I really love Silicon Valley just to uh, kind of put my bias out there in the open. I think I'm pretty aware of that. I was born here and I really like it here. And I hope to return here after college. I did want to experience something different during college. And uh, kind of both my parents uh, went to school um, on the East Coast. Uh, and they, they thought it could be a cool place to check out. Among the East Coast cities, Boston was by far my favorite. And it, it definitely was a tough decision. But my college counselor said he loved BC, even though they're not supposed to, to tell you that or have favorites, um, which is a big convincing factor. And then the final factor that, that convinced me to go there uh, was there was an accepted student's reception at uh, this uh, alum's house in Menlo Park. He was a venture capitalist. And 
I think anyone that was remotely interested in tech, he sold it uh, very well there. Uh, he had kind of us informally meet each other, other students that were considering VC. And then he brought about like three or four kind of young alumni that had very recently graduated from VC. And they were all venture capitalists at, uh, you know, at Kleiner and, and Summit and some of these cool firms. And uh, I walked out of there and I thought like, this, this uh, seems like a pretty cool school. <laughs> so at that time, um, so sometimes the VCs and startup founders can be glamorized. And when I was in college and even high, no, not high school, when I was in college and recently out of college, I looked up to like, you know, Sam Altman, Jason Calacanis, you know, like Jack Dor, like these guys is like, God, like God, it's almost like, like, like CM Bannister, you know, and they're just people. And I kind of wonder, um, has, when you first saw, uh, the, you know, this, this presentation, how did you perceive these VCs then? And I'm curious, now that you're very involved in entrepreneurship at BC, which we'll get into in a second, has the shock or awe around VC startup founder gone away? Or is it still kind of mythical, like kind of untouchable ground for you at the moment? Yeah, that's a great question. Cause I think people tend to build like cults around other people. Like there's definitely a, like a cult following of Elon Musk and Steve jobs uh, and kind of like, almost like they can, they can almost like do no wrong. And some people might not be like critical enough or question enough kind of, uh, some of their uh, like actions or choices. I think if we hadn't had that period in high school where we were completely skeptical of technology for a while, then I would still pretty much uh, maybe idolize some of these people like you're talking about. But after that, that whole phase where we stopped the startup, we were thinking, oh my God, all those conferences we went to, like where are the startups now? Some of them were doing pretty well, but we were actually trying to, trying to look at like, are they solving like real problems in the world and, and are they solving the right problems? Um, we heard a lot of like buzzwords and uh, people that would talk the talk, raise a ton of funding, but not actually put out like a cool product or um, or even mildly successful companies that that we uh, tried to look at more critically and say like, is the problem that you're solving like actually important like to the to the world like in the long run? And I think like that just general kind of skepticism uh, still carries through today a little bit. So I, I try and like keep a little bit of a balanced perspective. I do admit like since I. I uh, really like Silicon Valley and really like tech. There, there might be some kind of bias here and there, but uh, um, there was definitely a point in high school where uh, I think everyone goes through this. You, you look up to adults just in general as, as gods and, uh, you know, kind of as these mythical characters. And then you realize at some point in your life, like, uh, you know, adults mess up and, uh, it, you know, people kind of see that at, at various stages in their life. But uh, yeah, I think we, we kind of had that skepticism in general in high school. Yeah. Quick uh, story time on my end. So for like, yeah. the, I think the fifth or sixth, sixth podcast I did was Austin Allred, who's the CEO of Lambda School. And mm -hmm. I did that at Lambda School. And he told me that, he told me that, um, you know, we have, we've, I think 30 minutes or 45 minutes, but at 11 o'clock, we, we need to end sharp because I have, I have someone coming. And I'm like, no problem. Mm -hmm. Like we'll definitely end by 11 o'clock. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it's like 10 57 we end, but I like am small talking and whatever. And in mm -hmm. walks in just, just right in the same room as me, Mark Andreessen. And I'm like, holy <laughs> shit. That's like, 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 <laughs> you know, and uh, wow. it made me realize that it's just, it's just like, 
it's silly. Like all these people, they're just mm-hmm. people that have m- more experience, more network, raw intelligence, but they're no different from us. They they just, you know, play their cards well and they, they do, you, they do things well. They take risks, things like that. Mm-hmm. And they're just later in their career. It's something that I've learned. Um, right. But regardless, um, I like that answer. So now you are in college, you are mm-hmm. super involved in the entrepreneurship scene uh, mm-hmm. at BC, can you kind of talk about uh, what what the scene is like if someone, you know, was interested in it and how you're involved and like it, what options there are for, you know, interested entrepreneurs, you know, in uh, at BC? Definitely. Yeah. I think uh, it's, it's very clear that entrepreneurship is on the rise just uh, in general and also at BC in particular. So the Shea Center for Entrepreneurship is uh, kind of kind of the program, and then there's also a student-run club that basically puts together all the Shea Center's programs. Um, so there's there's a few permanent staff from the Shea Center, but it's it's actually mainly student-run, which I think is a really cool aspect of it. Um, so there's a president, a co-president, and then there's no other hierarchy. So everyone else is on project teams, which I also think is is, is a pretty cool way to do it. And the project teams might have a product project manager or product manager, but it's it's really just groups of people that are that are working together on these things. Some of the things that we offer, there's three big programs at BC. There's the elevator pitch competition, the uh, accelerator program, kind of that runs in the winter, and then in the spring there's the Straycosh venture competition. So each of these are kind of at varying levels, and it's designed that way. Uh, you all you need for the elevator pitch competition is an idea. You don't have to have anything else. So that's open to the whole BC community. Even if you have no interest in entrepreneurship but an idea, we want to still support you. And you can win um, money prizes for that. And then there's the accelerator. So I think usually it would be nice to see maybe a little bit of a prototype, but um, maybe a little bit more past the stage of having an idea. So then we help you uh, grow your idea in this eight-week accelerator. And then the venture competition is more for if you have like this cool side hustle that might already be making money and you're looking for some funding to take it to the next step. There's that uh, venture competition. And then we also have just have kind of recurring events where we bring in weekly speakers on Fridays. We have what's called tech treks. So we'll take people, you know, on a bus that we provide from Boston college into Boston to look at kind of companies and we'll pick like one or two companies every Friday and uh, do a little kind of tour of the, to, of the office and, and hear people speak. And then there's kind of other events that you would expect from, from an entrepreneurship organization. There's an entrepreneurship fair. Uh, there's a mixer with alumni. There's a, kind of an entrepreneurship week, which is uh, like jam-packed with cool activities that appeal to the, the community. And then just, just to finish up, uh, there's some new programs that we've been doing. Uh, one of them that I think is really exciting is uh, like an outreach kind of team. Um, and the purpose of this team is to, at first it started to kind of build BC's brand as, as an emerging center of entrepreneurship. And then I think it's just become uh, uh, a way for our entrepreneurship program to interact with other entrepreneurship programs at Boston area schools. Because, uh, you know, Boston could be the next Silicon Valley. It's got the most dense concentration of students in the country. It's got the top, some of the top engineering schools, some of the top business schools, top grad schools. So if there was a way to kind of connect students like that are working on entrepreneurship or business or tech at all these schools, I think uh, that could be really beneficial for, for, for Boston. Um, and that's, I know that's a lofty kind of goal, but the, the goal of the outreach team is to kind of make facilitate some of those connections. Um, recently, we had like a, a little informal mixer from all the e-board members of entrepreneurship clubs at Boston area schools. And we had probably about like six schools there. And we're hoping to do more events like that, uh, maybe like a conference, uh, maybe a pitch competition where the finalists from all the uh, 
from like Northeastern's pitch competition, BC's pitch competition, they all pitch against each other kind of in a final, which could be pretty fun. So we're just trying to come up with uh, fun ideas like that in uh, the outreach team. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And I mean, it sounds like there's something for anyone that's interested in entre entrepreneurship, which is, you know, really important because right. it's, we all, like we all at some point who are, you know, now into startups were once not into startups and we had that mm. day. I don't know if everyone can remember the moment or the day, but like, sounds like you can remember it. I can remember mine when I'm like, I want to get into startups and I was raw <laughs> ass, you know, like I didn't know yes. anything and that's where the journey starts. And then you exactly. just ideally that's, that's don't great. get off the path. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that was like one thing that's been done really well with entrepreneurship center is the, the director, Jerry Doyle, he said that, you know, he, he wants to support the people that are already entrepreneurial and, and uh, help them with their startups. But uh, his kind of main goal is to touch like as many students as possible with entrepreneurship uh, rather than only focus on the ones that are already doing it. So he's trying to reach thousands of people uh, across BC campus. That's the, uh, that's the kind of vision of the Shea Center, which I think is a great vision to have rather than, you know, focusing on, on the people that already have that experience. Yeah, definitely. So I want to talk about the founders that that come in as freshmen and they are just kind of at like a different level like they they they, they kind of have their stuff together they may already have a startup mm -hmm. with the revenue they, they blow through all you know they, they just like they dominate there i can think of mm -hmm. several examples of this at asu and these they broke out of arizona they're now killing it in san francisco mixed panel mm -hmm. air garage like fountain a lot of these companies that people have heard of started here mm -hmm. i kind of want to hear about what do you do with like what what happens to a breakout company at BC or in Boston or do they or do they get like assimilated into the Boston ecosystem do they immediately fly out to SF like do they even know that they're a breakout company like that's an issue we have here where like the, the smartest companies don't have people around them to tell them what to do next because no one knows mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear your tier one founders what happens to them and, and what, what do they do once they kind of reach the top yeah, that's a really interesting question. Uh, the Shea Center is pretty new. It's only four years old, like I said. So we're definitely kind of still experiencing even how to get to these founders. What I've noticed is a lot of people that are, uh, like you're saying, uh, kind of tier one, very motivated, uh, already come in knowing their stuff. Um, a lot of those people actually, they know about the Shea Center, but they feel like uh, they might not need it, which, you know, I, I think a little bit of a mistake because there's 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 something for everyone and, and I might be a little biased, but I think a lot of people I'm finding out have really cool side hustles and are actually making lots of money and are super entrepreneurial, um, but they're keeping it kind of as their side hustles and they they like you're saying they don't know that they're they're actually they have so much potential and could take this to the next level maybe with a little bit of uh, um, kind of more business experience or more tech experience. So I, I think definitely trying to find these people and and focus on them is is a good idea. We've had uh people join our accelerator this year that i think are more like these people that have the side hustles so there's one guy who uh basically is the go-to guy for if you want to buy an off-campus house junior year which is uh definitely what everyone tries to do at boston college uh he's basically it's a two-man realty company uh, i think they might employ some other people but he's just the biggest hustler he goes and follows everyone on instagram in the sophomore class because then they'll know about him junior year so and he's made a lot of money off of this project. And I think it's awesome to have him in the accelerator. Another guy has basically been designing like watches. There's a, like you can design watches and software. And if you have the right connections uh, to like manufacturing, get them printed. And so we, we got that guy on, but those are kind of some examples of these founders that 
already have been doing their own thing for a while and are really smart when you talk to them because that's how they've been successful so far. And we're trying to get them more involved with the Shea Center. And I think, unfortunately, right now, it's uh, it's hard to say, but it's true. I think Boston is not as much of, uh, you know, doesn't have as much prestige as Silicon Valley at the moment. Um, I think a lot of people are, are trying to change that. It might be kind of the venture money. It might be the established companies that are out in the Bay Area. But you do hear, unfortunately, uh, a lot of the time, unfortunately for Boston, people that are really talented software engineers getting recruited to Bay Area companies and moving out there, sometimes not even finishing college uh, because they got an offer that is very hard to refuse at Microsoft or Google uh, out in the Bay Area. So there definitely kind of is a lot of that. A lot of people do tend to get pulled out to uh, to Silicon Valley at some point. It's It was surprising for me when I realized that Boston wasn't as big a as a force as maybe it should be because of all the colleges there. Do you have a hypothesis on, well, I mean, I guess you just told me other than, uh, other than tech talent getting plucked by Facebook, you know, getting paid 300 grand, you can't, it's hard to say no to that or even more. What do I know? What are some other reasons you think Boston hasn't reached that number one or even like number two spot in some people's minds of top, top tech ecosystem? And then like, what are some gaps that should be filled in order to kind of help it realize its full potential? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a fantastic question. I'm sure, you know, a lot of people are probably thinking about uh, how to answer that. Uh, I think, yeah. So I think the things that I mentioned, I think there's just a lot of the, uh, the venture money is, is out in the Bay Area. Uh, and you know, a lot of very like prestigious VC firms are out here as well. Uh, I think that's like a pretty huge factor. And then I, I said, like I said, the established companies, a lot of big established companies are out here and that keeps kind of a, uh, I guess like a snowball Just to clarify, effect. when you say out here, you're currently in, in the Bay area. So you yes. mean out in, got it out in San Francisco. Okay. Yes. Yes. Thanks. Good, good clarification. Um, yeah, I think a lot of, you know, like Google and Microsoft and Facebook and a lot of companies have their headquarters out in the Bay area and it is a bit of a snowball uh, effect there as well. And they'll, like recruit uh, from kind of all over the country. But uh, I think maybe an, another thing that people might bring up is culture and about how Silicon Valley is, is all about tech and all about entrepreneurship. Uh, some might say too much, uh, to be honest. Um, some might say that like the tech conversations persist like after work and they kind of want to, uh, um, you know, at some point be a little bit separate from all that. Maybe it's like too much tech talk and, and too much kind of being in this, this Silicon Valley uh, circle. But uh, Versus there's not as, as much of that crazy extent of tech talk in Boston. Um, and I think, I think some ways to fix that, like, like I mentioned earlier, and I think like you were, you were mentioning, there's so much talent in the Boston area that's already right there. Like some of the top engineers in the country are probably going to, uh, you know, studying CS at some of these, uh, you know, really good engineering schools in Boston. So if the talent is there and, uh, you know, and, and also there's some pretty good entrepreneurship programs at Boston area schools and just the sheer concentration of students. I, I, in my opinion, I think a lot of it could be about connecting the students together and convincing them to, to stay in Boston after they found their companies, um, uh, you know, could, could be another aspect. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I can relate, although, you know, I keep mentioning Arizona, but, um, you know, Arizona is actually like kind of in a similar-ish bucket where, I mean, we do have, we, I mean, ASU, I mean, people may not agree, but like we, we do have smart people, a lot of smart people going there. They just move to San Francisco mm -hmm. immediately after all these like tier one startups, just like peace and they, they're out. And I, right. I, I understand that. I think for, for Boston, um, 
there's more in my at least from my view i mean boston's not i mean boston's boston you got you got all these call like 10 maybe even a dozen colleges plus that are like super super prime for right. entrepreneur on, entrepreneurship it's actually like like i i am mildly interested in like you know moving there at some point in my life mm. but just because mm-hmm. of that like i don't know if that will ever happen but it's just interesting um i want to shift the conversation a little bit towards less geographic on mm-hmm. you know boston sf phoenix mm-hmm. and more to the 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 land where we all live or most of us live which is the internet <laughs> and mm-hmm. um ultimately the land where like i am able to find all these people on my podcast to interview and and mm-hmm. what i've learned and what we've talked about before we started recording is you know i've noticed that there is this class of Gen Z, younger entrepreneurs, they might be in high school or college or recently graduated who are just sharp. They're just, they just are on it and they're just wicked smart. And I'm meeting a ton of them from this podcast and from networking from the podcast. And I just kind of like, I I like, I love your take on what's happening in, in your generation, like as your generation, like, like what, what, what's happening? What's this group? Is there a name for it? And why is it occurring? And I guess, what are your general thoughts on this? Like just tier one, you know, all around the world, but all connected to the same community online. What are your thoughts on all of it? Yeah, that's another great question. Uh, I'll have to get back to you on the name, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, I think like you're saying, the internet is, is a fantastic resource. I think a lot of people are teaching themselves on the internet nowadays. In my opinion, I think, I think it starts very, very young, um, maybe in high school or maybe even middle school, this instinct to be working on your own cool projects all the time, even if they fail and, you know, always be working on something outside of what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and I think the internet is like a tool to, to teach yourself, like how to, how to, how to build these projects. And I think the people that are, that seem to be pretty successful at at a young age have that instinct that they always want to be building something and they want to like form teams to make that happen. And then they use the internet as like a, as a really fantastic like resource to, uh, to learn everything they need to put that together. Basically. Um, I think there are definitely some communities where I've noticed there is a a concentration in this type of talent. Um, Definitely the, the communities you expect for sure. So like the Shea Center for Entrepreneurship, like the eBoard, uh, the students that are kind of planning these events uh, are the students that enjoy planning these events and supporting other entrepreneurs because maybe they've been there at some points. So there's a, a really good concentration of talent there. And uh, also in uh, Contrary Capital, this uh, kind of seed stage VC firm that I'm a part of, they have you know a few reps at a lot of uh, schools across the country. There's probably over 100 representatives at um, maybe like 70 or, or schools. And that also is a fantastic concentration of talent. In my opinion, it's it's one of the coolest networks I've ever been a part of. All these people are some of the top like entrepreneurs at their own schools, and uh, they definitely motivate me to to continue working on my own projects and, and be more entrepreneurial. Some of them have already written books, and uh, you know they're they're 20 years old and they've written uh, a book. So uh, I think it's it's really cool to find these communities and like immerse yourself in them. Coming going from Silicon Valley to BC. Uh, I definitely noticed there's a very strong business school at BC. And I think that attracts a lot of people who want to go into investment banking, consulting, and that sort of field, um, which is fantastic. It's also kind of not what I'm looking at at the moment. So I had to try and find these communities that were that were similar to me. I found that in Contrary Capital for sure. And I found that in, in the Shea Center as well. 
it's interesting that you that you mentioned contrary just because i recently also became acquainted with the, that network and yeah it's just it's just the best <laughs> just i mean you said it yourself the <laughs> best at each school it makes me wonder it's kind of like pivoting the conversation slightly but it's on my mind it, mm-hmm. all these networks are forming of these you know like we were talking about smart people have smart friends who know smart friends you know it's just kind of like mm-hmm. the, this thing and it makes me wonder like why hasn't something replaced linkedin at least for this like new generation i look at linkedin and it's just like i mean obviously it has major network effects which is why it still mm-hmm. exists but it's just like not it it it's it's it doesn't cater to like entrepreneurship too well it's not cool it's not mm-hmm. hip it's not you know do you have you seen any attempt at trying to like create you know the the, the like contrary capital or next gen or whatever but like a billion times bigger for all of these people to come together online and like I don't know do whatever they do on LinkedIn but for yeah. Gen Z and Gen, Gen <laughs> and the millennials Yeah that's a that's a really good question to be asking at this specific point in time as well uh, I think now with the uh the COVID crisis um, very unfortunate. It's also forced a lot of people kind of online and you can already see with the projects that are popping up, uh, people want to connect with each other online, like now, uh, more than ever. And I was reading an article the other day about how important it is to, to form these online communities that are, you know, that are very active, uh, and uh, to get people like engaged online and, and meeting each other and having these networks. I think, uh, specifically contrary does have a really cool network. And I've just become aware of that recently. Uh, I was trying to find product managers to interview for the Boston Product Management Association project. And uh, I asked one of the uh, kind of the um, the main guys at Contrary if he knew any people. And he just referred me to the Contrary directory, which is kind of this spreadsheet of people who have been past venture partners. So a venture partner is like a, a current like student at a current college uh, or graduate school that's sourcing startups. When you kind of move on from that school and you get a job, um, then you're, you become part of the alumni network. So he pointed me to this spreadsheet, which had this incredible list of alums and I emailed uh, a bunch of them that were PMs, maybe six, and all of them responded very quickly and said, I'd love to talk to a, you know, a fellow contrarian hear what it's uh, like these days. So that is a, a very strong network that I just found out uh, about recently. But I think, I think you're right that there, there should be something that connects uh, a bunch of people together uh, um, kind of online that are really interested in building projects and maybe high achieving um, contrary, just, recently launched, uh, I don't want to kind of sound like I'm promoting this too much. Oh, but, yeah, no worries. Uh, That's fine. Yeah. It, yeah. I just feel like it's interesting to talk about. They launched a project called uh, Home Homework, where the work is in a little uh, parentheses. And it's basically, I think we got at least 500 applications and it picked 100 students uh, that we selected and it's connecting them together for to work on their own projects. And I can tell you, everyone that applied was, was fantastic. There were some really cool... Uh, um, resumes and it was it was very hard to to kind of narrow it down to a hundred. But uh, those one hundred people are also very motivated, very driven. I'm I'm pretty excited to see what kind of projects they come up with. And I would also love to kind of just just look at that list of people and, and reach out to to some of these people and, and say, hey, you know, uh, why did you join this? Like, what project are you working on? What's uh, what's kind of uh, your vision here? Do does contrary compete with? What's the dynamic with Contrary Dorm Room Fund and Rough Draft? They're all like, I think, similar. And I'm interested. And they're all, in my opinion, all like top tier, like very smart people in every organization I just mentioned. Is there like a a competitive 
you know, thing with, with you all, or is it all kind of, are you all on the same team? You know, how did, what's that dynamic like? Definitely. That, that's a great question. I should have a better answer. Honestly, it was part of the, uh, the contrary training. I know for a fact that it, it's not as competitive as you might think it might be. You're thinking like, Oh, there's a really cool startup. Uh, right away, the like rough draft ventures, the dormant fund and the contrary guys must all be like kind of sparring to, to get that person, you know, on their, on their side and, and funded. It doesn't uh, actually end up working out uh, that much um, in, in that way. I think one difference that immediately pops out to me, contrary uh, markets itself is very network driven and it definitely is. That's why there's reps at like, like 60 or 70 schools across the country. Uh, I think, for example, Rough Draft Ventures sticks to kind of some hubs. So they've got like a Boston hub, a San Francisco hub. Um, but I, I think that, yeah, so I think they concentrate their effort in those hubs and maybe schools kind of in that area, but but they don't, I guess, get as much uh, spread as Contrary tries to have. Um, and yeah, and, and that, that network-driven part, initially I thought it was a bit of a buzzword, to be honest, when I was reading that about Contrary, but that's like the, that's, you can see how important it is to Contrary because they started that homework project where They've got this network of people that want to work on projects together. Uh, they've got reps at so many different schools. Uh, and uh, I think there are other differences, like there's, there's differences in, in how much uh, that is invested. Uh, contrary to 50 to $250,000 kind of uh, seed um, stage investments. I think, I don't want to, to kind of say the wrong information here, but I think there's a, there might be limits on, on the sizes of checks that other, um, that like rough draft ventures or dorm room fund, right? And I think they're also set up differently kind of structurally. I think we do ours as like a, um, uh, a, a certain type of, of cap safe note. I think there might be slight differences there as well. But I think the main difference is, is honestly the, uh, uh, the fact that Contrary kind of has people everywhere. And that's the part that I really like about it. Are you able to, uh, to like cut checks and write checks? And what, what kind of, how does Contrary work? I, I've actually talked to, I, I believe, um, one or maybe two other people that have been in contrary, um, but I actually didn't understand how how it worked after talking. Like, do, if you see a good founder, can be like, "You're dope. I can write one check a month. Here's a hundred grand." Or obviously, it's not it's not that mm -hmm. like that. But how does yeah. it work if you're able if you're willing to or able to explain? Definitely, definitely. I think um, I think let me figure out how much I can explain to. I, I don't want to kind of like go too much into it. Yeah, I'm not definitely. To say, to be totally honest. fine. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. As, as little yeah. as you want to go is fine. I'm just curious, like you can, you, you can even just say like, is it something where like you have check writing power after you like get the, get it like, you know, passed by a committee or something, or I guess I'm just curious about like, cause that'd be dope if all these representatives at all these colleges can just have that autonomy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, it, yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think that could be pretty cool. In in my uh, personal opinion, and this this definitely uh, shouldn't be kind of taken as the end all be all, but I think it it is still pretty a uh, young age to be writing checks at this point. Um, that being said, I'm not sure how Rough Draft Ventures or Dormant Fund is set up. I'm not sure if it's personally people writing checks. Uh, at contrary, your job is to kind of source startups, and then there are incentives for if you source a startup and it gets funded by contrary. Uh, there's definitely some 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 incentives there. So you want to be sourcing the best startups you can, um, basically. So it's like a it's almost like scouting, which is like a super 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 hot space right now. I'm very interested mm -hmm. in that in that in that realm. Um, mm -hmm. Cool. This is, it's probably like a whole other episode on scouting. Um, I mm -hmm. I'm, I'm fascinated. Just like yeah, have you heard of uh, have you heard of um, uh, shoot Naval Ravikant Spearhead? Have you heard of Spearhead? 
Uh, no, no. So Naval Ravikant, who's the CEO, uh, yeah, I think he's still Angelist, the CEO. Right? Angelist, mm-hmm. um, pr- is pretty much starting Y Combinator for angel investors, and he's giving all these founders who are late stage a million dollars to invest, and mm-hmm. they and the founder get to keep fifteen percent of the carry. Which is just mm-hmm. like the coolest thing I've ever heard in my life, and it's just that wow. like that's yeah, and it's just I mean you got. The, the, the you know the three college models you got sequoia scouts you got launch scouts it's just i think like I, I just, i'm just interested in the trends in bc that'll be my last question before we um mm-hmm. before we kind of wrap it up where do you see vc going from your perspective you know you're you know you're networking with all these other future vcs or at least future tech people like do you mm-hmm. do, do you do you have a vision on where vc is going and uh, would you ever want to be a vc yeah, that's, those are also questions that I've thought about. So, so great questions. Um, again, this is kind of my personal opinion, and it's not the end-all be-all. In fact, many people do the opposite. But uh, I believe that I think some of my favorite personal VCs and maybe some of the best VCs, you could say, uh, were previously startup founders. So I think if I were to get into VC, it would probably be later in life. And I'm, I'm willing to kind of put that decision off and, until I get to that point. Um, but I think I think, for example, a lot of people study finance maybe and, and kind of go the finance route into VC or start working in VC directly after college. And uh, to me, a little bit, uh, since I did kind of have that experience trying to start like a company in, in high school, um, it, it seems like uh, they have m- maybe more finance knowledge than just kind of general entrepreneurs might have. But also, it seems like it's harder to relate to the founders, to relate to, you know, the, the classic stereotype of a, a bunch of founders, like splitting rent, like living in uh, like one house, eating ramen for six months and working really hard on a project, you know, kind of going into a room and then having someone who, uh, you know, just like a young person who studied finance, looking at their finances and saying like, oh, this is wrong. This is bad. I feel like uh, if you're if you are a stout, uh, like a, a startup founder and uh, I, I feel like that, first of all, that teaches you how to operate like how to look for like good operators, how to tell if a company is, is working well. I also think it just gives this other component of, of uh, being able to empathize with, with what it was like to be at that stage. Uh, so, so that's my personal opinion. And that's why I think if I do want to get into VC, I'm not going to try and go into it out of college. I would probably save that for, for later in life if it, if it came up. And uh, kind of as for maybe some trends, uh, I think there are a lot of really smart people, especially in Contrary, that have uh, really cool theories about about trends in VC. I'm definitely not the the expert in it, but if I were to just say some some general things, I think um, maybe now uh, more than it used to be uh, in the past, uh, founders are realizing they can bootstrap like more and maybe not give as you know as much of their company away as previously thought. You know, the narratives might be getting changed a little bit from "I need to go seek funding" to a lot of people, even venture capitalists are saying, actually, maybe try and bootstrap as far as you can uh, before you uh, seek funding and, and give away pieces of your company. Um, I also think uh, the this this uh, coronavirus crisis might affect VC um, in the way that it, it, it makes it a lot harder uh, for like maybe some of the smaller firms to survive. That being said, some of the best companies are founded in recessions. And uh, I think Sequoia is raising like a like a seven billion dollar fund right now, which is uh, which is pretty crazy. So I guess uh, who's to say? But um, yeah, I, in my personal opinion, I really, really, really respect uh, most VCs that come from the uh, entrepreneurial background. Yeah, I I think all those trends are spot on, and I'd mm-hmm. agree with the entrepreneurial background. 
a last spring I pitched a hundred VCs in the launch accelerator wow. and yeah, I, I just all sorts of VCs and uh, yeah, I, 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 I kind of felt the same way. Like I, I, I could connect better with mm-hmm. ones that have been there and the ones that mm-hmm. haven't been there are upfront about it, but there's just something, mm-hmm. you know, there's something right. missing, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. you, do you get me? You know, like, as a mm-hmm. fan, like, yeah. you know, uh, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like, man, if one day someone just gave me some money to invest, I feel like I'd be the dopest VC ever. I would just be <laughs> like, yo, like, you are awesome, but you got to work on this. But like, I can help you. And once you get there, here's something. Yeah, I actually, I, I do want to be a VC, um, but yeah. not like a tip. Not, I think I want to like, kind of compete with Y Combinator in a way with mm-hmm. like this, like, I don't know. I just think I'm really good at finding awesome t- startups at the earliest stages and like if i can do that and i got money which i don't mm-hmm. but if i do one day boom all right cool Definitely. so my last question for you is what does the future look like for mm-hmm. for jack and you know yeah i'll just leave it like that you know yeah, yeah, looking yeah. looking forward um where do you see your journey in tech kind mm-hmm. of taking you Definitely. I, I, yeah. Um, I, I ask myself that every day. Uh, I think I'm trying to, to use the, the technical background a little bit. Maybe, maybe that just means I see myself working like at a tech company, maybe not even in a technical role. Uh, some careers that I've been considering recently, I think, are uh, kind of product management, um, kind of customer success, things that I think make you like really good at, at connecting with customers and uh, like giving you the skills that that can help you like start and run a, a successful company later. Um, I've I've thought about this uh, kind of a lot, and my opinions are always changing. But right now, I'm thinking uh, it, I think it would be cool to go to like a, a company first before trying to start my startup right out of college, and and seeing what works at that company, and figuring out like oh, okay, like here's what this co- like this company does wrong about communication. Uh, here's what they do right about it. Here's what they do right about like meetings and management. Um, I've been reading kind of some, some articles on, on that, uh, um, recently, and I feel like seeing what works and what doesn't, and then maybe taking that, uh, taking that experience and then, uh, maybe diving into a startup, uh, could be interesting. Uh, a lot of people I think, um, might try and go to like an established company and build like a solid financial base before starting a startup. And I think that's also very important in my opinion. I think the, the experience is what I'm personally trying to, uh, to build up, but I'm also open to kind of wherever the, the journey takes me and, uh, there's some cool projects that, that I've seen and that I might be like involved in right now. And, and I'm willing to kind of, uh, to, to put in a lot of time and, and see where those go as well. Um, yeah. Definitely get to keep options open, but have like an idea of what you want to do. And I, I would agree that that is a, a good path. I, I didn't do that. I right out of college with zero experience in anything started at Pobloft, which is my old company on two credit cards and luckily mm-hmm. I got, I got that to like 25 grand a month and an awesome. investment from Jason Calacanis, but then like yes. based on my like inexperience, um, and not knowing what, how to, how this stuff works, it, it didn't work out in the end, but now I'm at a company where I, I I'm learning, I'm learning so much. And when I go back out there and start something, man, it's going to be so much better because of the experience I'm getting at this company. So I, I, mm-hmm. I would agree that's a good, uh, a good path. And I just think you're on a good path regardless of you do, what you do. You're a smart guy. I've enjoyed the conversation. I appreciate you coming on to the pod for the early bets, early bets segment. And 
I wish you luck moving forward. And uh, actually, l I do have one more question. I have one one Definitely. last question, and then and then Definitely. we will wrap it up because I, I I usually end it with this anyways. Mm -hmm. uh, what is is there something that someone in the audience or uh, the, someone listening? Um, mm -hmm. can do to help you out? Do you even ask for anyone in the audience, whether it's get on an email list, check out this app, go to the Entrepreneurship Center website. Is there something that you want the, the, the people listening to do that can help you out a little bit? Yeah, definitely. I, thanks for asking that question. That's, uh, <laughs> that, that's definitely very nice of you. I'll just keep it general and say, uh, if you're listening to this and you found what I have to say interesting, or if you just want to like connect and, and talk more, definitely uh, find me on LinkedIn or message me and I'd love to kind of just chat. Um, right now there's, there, there are some projects that, uh, um, that I'm working on. They might not be like fully launched yet. Uh, so I, I guess I don't want to kind of mention this specifically, but, but I also just love having general conversations. Um, I especially really just like, uh, connecting with people one-on-one -on -one and, and coffee chats and that sort of thing. And, um, I feel like there's so much to learn from every person as you've probably experienced, you know, kind of, uh, running this podcast. So, uh, I'd love to, to kind of learn from, uh, if you have expertise in, in a field or found something that I said interesting and want to have a conversation, uh, uh, don't hesitate to reach out. And if they wanted to reach out, are you on Twitter, Facebook? Do you have an email, a website? How, um, how can someone get in touch with you? Uh, definitely. I think uh, LinkedIn uh, could be a good way. And also um, uh, an email would also be another good way. It's my first name uh, and then my middle initial and my last name. So jack.m.mcclelland at gmail.com. Uh, that's just my personal uh, Gmail address. All right. There it is. Thank you so much for coming on, Jack. Thanks so much. This is awesome. Okay. Thank you everyone for tuning into that episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And luckily there's another one coming up real soon. But before then, I have a couple things to tell you. First, if you're listening to this and you think you're working on something cool or you think you're smart, hit me up on Twitter. I am at Matt underscore Sherman. And that is Matt with one T. So hit me up, shoot me a DM. And I'm happy to check out what you're working on and maybe we can get you on the pod. But at the very least, I'm happy to give you feedback on your product or project or startup. Lastly, if you can please rate this podcast in the iTunes store, that would be awesome. I'm trying to get up in the rankings so more people can discover these awesome founders. And the only way to do that or one of the ways to do that is growing with rankings. So if you like what you're listening to, please just go onto the iTunes store and give it five stars or four, you know, or three. I'm not going to tell you what to give, but just tell whatever I deserve, you should rate that. With that, I'm signing off. See you next time. Bye.